couple months ago, I heard this report on the radio talking about stress on the job. And they were saying that stress on the job normally comes from internal sources, internal to you know, whatever department or place that you work, like things that have to do with conflicts with supervisors or poor management structures or some sort of a systemic issue to the workplace itself. And they use the example of police officers. We all know that police officers have a stressful job. And you would think that most of the stress would come from the danger, maybe, or the risk of the job. Or maybe from dealing with people who are themselves in high stress situations, right? Crime victims, maybe from seeing how much hurt and pain there is in the world. But no, it turns out police officers are most stressed by issues internal to the department, supervision issues, incompetent bosses, things like this. When I was listening to this, I'm, I'm part of a clergy women support group and we meet monthly, we talk about our ministries, we share our challenges, our successes, and we pray for each other. So when I heard this report about police officers and their job stresses, it struck me. It's like, that's true for us pastors too. It's not the funerals, it's not the pastoral care, it's not even the pressure of preparing a sermon every week. It's not even the, you know, the constant concern about whether we're going to be able to balance the budget this month or this year. When my colleagues and I are most stressed, it's about the issues internal to, you know, whatever denomination we're part of. There's this woman who's part of our group, this Episcopal priest. And I remember one time when she was particularly upset with something her bishop had done, she said, I wish I could just go down to the corner and preach. Maybe give out socks to people who need them. I just, I wish I didn't have to worry about all this church politics. I wish I could just do ministry. I bet that's how Peter and the rest of the disciples felt a lot of the time. I wish I could just go to the temple and heal those people who need it. I wish I could just go out and tell the story of Jesus. I wish I could just talk about God's love, how Jesus was the embodiment of that love and how God loves us so much that he sent Jesus to show us, to be with us, to teach us. I wish I could just call out the name of Jesus. I wish I, wish I could just preach. I wish I could just do ministry. Poor Peter, he tries so hard to do ministry. If you look back earlier, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make you read too much this morning, <laughs> but if you look back earlier in the scripture, it's really a one big long story, um, but if you look back earlier, it's a story of Peter and John going into the temple because they continue to visit the temple each day and to minister the people, the needs of the people gathered there and to teach about Jesus. And so it, 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 earlier in the scripture, they enter the temple through what's called the beautiful gate. And they see a man lying there who had been lame from birth. They heal the man, and the man immediately stands up and begins to praise God. And, of course, a large crowd starts to gather around, and Peter tells them all that this healing happened through the power of the name of Jesus. And, B and Peter also tells them that this is the same Jesus that they had rejected and crucified, but his name has power to heal. 
And Peter begins to tell them all to repent of their sins and that they, their sins would be forgiven. Well, it turns out they didn't all do that. At least the temple leaders didn't, anyway. They were perhaps a little too comfortable with their positions of power there in the temple, taking the best sacrifices for themselves, being protected from the cruelty of the Roman rule by virtue of their office. They were perhaps a little too comfortable with their important positions, getting to tell others what to do, and their comfort kept them from repentance. So the scripture today starts with verse 5. But again, if you were to read a few verses at the beginning of chapter 4, it says, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to them much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. Now, if you are a person who's comfortable with the way things are, Jesus' teachings would be quite annoying. <laughs> I love the understatements that I find in the Bible. Much annoyed. So Jesus' teachings would be annoying. So because of their annoyance, they arrest Peter and John. And it's already too late in the day for them to do anything with him right then, so they just leave them in custody overnight. So the next morning is when we pick up today's scripture. All the important folk and Jerusalem assemble. There's the rulers, the scribes, the high priests, everyone who's part of the high priestly family. And when everyone's there, they haul out the prisoners and start their interrogation. Which, as we see, doesn't go too well for the interrogators. By what power or by what name did you do this? I love Peter's first line. If we are being questioned today because of a good deed, have you ever been questioned because of a good deed? I remember my first appointment back in 2001. We were planning to start a community garden in an empty lot next to our church. And before we'd started the garden, we were hosting a neighborhood watch meeting at the church. And one of the police officers that came to the meeting warned us not to do the garden because there were problems with drugs in the neighborhood. Now, he's right. There were problems with drugs in the neighborhood. And drug dealers sold on that corner and would be able to hide their drugs in the plants. Come on now. The lot was full of weeds and abandoned cars and trash. It's an abandoned lot. But somehow a drug dealer might find some flowers or corn stalks, a more inviting place to hide his merchandise. Really? Have you ever been questioned because of a good deed? Maybe you tried to help someone, but they didn't want your help. Maybe you were at work trying to do things the way you knew it was supposed to be done, but you got reprimanded for it. Maybe you saw an injustice and you tried to point it out, but the people in charge didn't like being called out like that. What's that saying? No good deed goes unpunished. So Peter and John spend the night in jail because of their good deed. But when they're called out by the rulers, they don't cower. They don't try to take a plea. They don't make excuses. They tell the whole gathered assembly exactly what happened and why. And there's not much all those rulers can do at the moment. The man that Peter and John healed is standing right there with them. They can't very well deny that it happened. There are a whole lot of witnesses. 
So they kind of talk amongst themselves and finally decide there's nothing they can do. So they tell them to stop talking about Jesus. Peter and John say they can't stop. So they threaten them and then they let them go. And that's where the reading today ended. But if you keep reading, see, it was a long story. <laughs> if you keep reading on further in the chapter, it says that Peter and John go back to their friends and tell them what happened. And when their friends hear the story, they all begin to pray. Now that makes sense to me, right? That's what most of us would do at that moment. Even if you're not somebody who prays daily, you're not really in the habit, this would be one of those times, one of those desperate times where you would. My prayer would probably be something like this, oh God, help us. <laughs> you can protect us from these rulers. Or if I was feeling angry right then about having to spend the night in jail for a good deed, I might say something more like this, Lord, make them stop. Why does it have to be so hard? You told us to preach about Jesus. That's what we're doing. We're just trying to do your work. Make them stop messing with us. But that's not their prayer. The essence of their prayer is in verse 29, if you want to read it. It says, and now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. I'm going to read that again. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness. They don't ask God to take away the threats. They ask for boldness in the face of those threats. They don't ask for God to protect them. They don't ask God to make things any easier for them at all. They pray for boldness. And you know, God clearly grants their request. All the powerful people in Jerusalem are gathered together in that room. And you can imagine, these are the powerful people of Jerusalem. They're probably pretty well turned out. Wearing the latest tunics or whatever sandals are in style at the time, looking good for one another. And here comes Peter and John. There's just the two of them. They spent the night in prison, so they're probably not feeling their best, not looking their best. And these are supposedly uneducated fishermen, right? facing off against a crowd of the most educated men in Jerusalem. Clearly, God has granted them boldness. If you are questioning us because of a good deed we did, you got to add a little snap. <laughs> if you are asking how this man was healed, we'll tell you. And with boldness beyond what could be just humanly possible, they do tell them. And they don't just tell them, they say, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel. They're not trying to hide. God has given us boldness for the sake of the gospel. So we want all of Israel to know that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead. The scripture says that the chief priests and those gathered there saw the boldness of Peter and John 
and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men. For some reason, the fact that they were ordinary men made their boldness even more threatening to the gathered leaders. How dare they stand in front of the council and speak to them that way? But there they were, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to them with boldness. The next time that I'm in a difficult spot, I hope that I can have the faith of Peter and John. The next time that I'm in a difficult spot, instead of praying for God to get me out of there, (laughs) to take away my adversity, I hope I remember to pray for boldness. Because as we can see, boldness is a quality that when we ask for it, it's a quality that God will grant in full measure. Just look what it did for Peter and John. When they were in front of the council in the midst of their interrogation, their boldness so frightened the council that they didn't know what to do with him. That is the power of boldness. Their boldness in the temple changed the hearts and lives of many gathered there. As they were being arrested and sent to prison for the night, it says that many of those who heard the word believed, and they numbered about 5,000. That's the power of boldness. Let us all pray for boldness. Let us be bold in whatever decisions we're confronting right now. Let us be bold in claiming God's love for one another. Let us be bold in the face of whatever difficulty we encounter next. See, boldness may not keep us safe, but it will make change happen. It will bring people to the powerful name of Jesus. It will give people permission to be bold themselves in that same name. Let us all pray for boldness. Amen.